0: Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today I have a special guest, Tim and his wife, Kirsten, own Strawberry Hill Farm in New Brunswick, Canada. And uh, Tim grew up in New Hampshire and moved to Canada in 97. He spent most of his life in agriculture and around greenhouses. He studied compost, compost teas, and the soil food web in the early 2000s, and worked in sales and consulting for biological agriculture for everything from turf tree care to turf to large-scale agriculture. In 2011, Tim and his wife bought a rundown farm and have since turned it into one of the largest organic farms in Eastern Canada, raising over 50 crops, plus pasture-raised beef, pork, chicken, and eggs. Tim and his wife were the recipients of the Garrett Lou Memorial Achievement Award in 2013 and the Agricultural Leadership Award from the New Brunswick Institute of Agrologists in 2018. Tim currently sits on the board of the directors of the Organic Federation of Canada and is president of the Atlantic Certified Organic. Wow, welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thank you, I'm glad yeah, to I be here. I didn't realize all those awards and like, you know, boards you sit on.
1: Yeah, it adds up,
0: <laughs> stay busy. Um, talk to us about, you know, again, you were from the US. What prompted you to move to Canada?
1: Yeah, so we were part of a community organization. Um, You could put a lot of names to it, but um, suffice it to say that the whole community that we were with um, in New Hampshire moved to New Brunswick in uh, between 96 and 98. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Canada at that time, and then our three children were all born up here.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All right. And then when you moved up there, um, you know, you were doing agricultural work. What really made you want to actually farm?
1: Well, I worked with farmers and I did Mm -hmm. some farming. Um, I always wanted to have a business of my own. But it wasn't until late, like 2007 to 2010, that it really got stronger Mm-hmm. I want. We wanted the chance to work out some of the biological practices mm-hmm. on our own farm. I met a lot of resistance in farmers. I even met uh, resistance with directors and managers in my own organization. And um, I had a young fella who was 18 at the time. Um, say to me, Well, you've got all kinds of, the, of ideas, but we've got the experience. And I was 35 at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, Well, where were you when I was, you know, herding yeah. sheep and doing all this stuff? Oh, that's right. You were in diapers. But, you know, <laughs> that's an 18 year old isn't going to take very kindly to that. Yeah. But as I, as I stepped back and thought about that, I realized, you know, you are right. I, I've never run a farm, I do lack experience. And, So we wanted to make a major life change anyway around 2010 for our kids Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of other reasons. So we left the organization. We left the group, bought a farm, and here we are. And it turns out you were actually a pretty good
0: farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So you bought the farm. And then let's talk about what was next for you. Did you start going to farmer's markets? Uh, How did you pick the crops? Did you know what kind of farm you wanted?
1: Well... This has been a little bit of a, has turned into a little bit of a challenge. Um, when we decided to leave the organization, the, the community group, um, we committed to working for three years for them to help train other people to do what I did. Okay. Um, and they had started, on my recommendation, they had started a CSA program and I grew it for them. I also mm-hmm. did a lot of the, what we called bioag. The ran the worms and the compost mm-hmm. and a lot of other stuff. Um, About six months into that, they decided that they were going to cut out all the things pretty much that I had been doing. And so that threw me into a position of A, not being needed for three years, B, needing work, and C, having something that I put a lot of energy and time Mm -hmm. and um, was invested in was going to be just canceled or sold Mm -hmm. to somebody who knows where. So I made a fairly snap decision to take over the, their CSA program, and we ended up buying that from them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took the farm in a different direction than we had been hoping. We had been hoping to do maybe four crops mm-hmm. and um, you know some fairly straightforward things, and we had kind of a small vision in mind at the time. Mm-hmm. When we bought the CSA program, we also bought it from another elderly couple that was retiring. They had a winter program. We bought that from them. That kind of launched us into mm-hmm. um, what's grown to what it is today.
0: Gotcha. So you kind of almost like, you kind of got thrown into it um, pretty hardcore.
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah, to the point where even... On the farm in twenty twelve we we did our first c s a um crop we we decided we wanted to be all certified organic um and they were but they were fields that still did not have the thirty six months mm-hmm. because they had been rented out and so we tried to grow crops on some marginal fields yeah it was it was a quite a an intense bit there for a while
0: yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, your scale. So kind of give us like an overview of like how many acres are you farming and, and kind of like the different breakup of your business.
1: Yeah, we're farming about 250 acres, about, uh, 15 to 20 acres of vegetables. And the rest would be in grains and pasture and hay for our livestock. Um, another thing we did. Pretty much right off was another friend of ours was selling some cows and we had a significant portion of the farm that it, the fields are not good for vegetable mm-hmm. production. So we bought the cows. Um, so that was another thing that we got right into, which we hadn't initially planned on doing, but, but you know we kind of jumped into that. Um, so we our farm, kind of our home farm that we originally bought uh, the total area is 100 acres, about 60 acres of growing land. Then we bought um, the neighboring farm um, when when they could no longer farm. Mm-hmm. And there's another 50, 60 acres there. And then we rent probably another 56. I, I've lost my math here, but another 100 plus um, acres from from other people up and down the river. Mm-hmm. um in some cases it's people who had their land in a in a program which is called flip here Farmland identification program whereby okay. if if it's being farmed then they pay a fraction of the taxes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they they've they're retired but by having us farm it it's a win-win because we mm-hmm. get to use the land and they get to write off the tax or not to pay as much tax yeah so there are different things there's other People who just, you know, didn't want to bush hog their three or four acres and so we farm it. Um, And we offer them a tab here at the stand. So uh, we also, I think you mentioned in the bio that we do um, 50 different crops.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We've decided that in a time when farmers have been encouraged to go big or go home, that as fairly new entrants into farming, we weren't, you know, we bought the farm. Had did not have farms handed down to us. Um, mm-hmm. We decided that diversity. We would use diversity to work for the benefit of the whole. Mm. So, no one crop or livestock are going to support the family, but the combination of the whole uh, supports our family. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is the interaction works between, so vegetables that aren't up to quality for, um, you know, for the CSA or for markets, they end up going to pigs, mm-hmm. uh, chickens fertilize pastures, um, cows, as I said, utilize parts of the farm that we can't grow vegetables on. So the idea is to create a synergistic, uh, mm-hmm. well-working farm,
0: uh-huh. Absolutely. Okay. So then let's say, how many cows do you have then?
1: Uh, total animals, it will go up to about 70 to 75 and then down to 60, 65 when they start, you know, when you mm-hmm. fluctuate during yeah. the year. Yep.
0: And then the pig operation, how big, how many is that?
1: Well, we raise between 80 and a hundred hogs a okay. year. Okay. Um, because we're certified organic, we have to go all the way. we have to have our own sows.
2: Mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. go right
1: from farrow to finish mm-hmm. um, the, so we we typically run around nine sows.
0: Nine sows. okay. and then those are having piglets, and then you grow the piglets and process the piglets. Um, yeah, gotcha.. Yeah. And then those what's the what's the system for that? Are those in a tunnel or those out on pasture? How do the pigs work, typically?
1: Well, we've done a variety of different things. We've had them on pasture, but for pigs where they tend to get sunburned a little more and they're more native to wooded areas, we always try to have woods within their pasture area. For the last couple of years, we've had pigs almost in exclusively wooded areas. And we do have a movable hut for them. Um, We also have farrowing huts that I use for farrowing outside. We have a barn that we can farrow in here. It's quite cold still in, in March, and we want to start farrowing then. So I do. we do have stalls in a barn that we use uh, for early farrowing. And we will let the piglets come into the barn if they want to in the winter, just for for shelter. Okay. Um, we're working with uh, round bale, creating round bale houses for the pigs. Mm.
2: Um
1: with the straw so you grow the grain take the straw build these with about 12 round bales you can build a nice igloo mm-hmm. that's really warm and wind protected and then through the late winter early spring when you need hay for bedding in the barn and stuff then you can utilize those houses there so it's a kind of a win-win uh-huh. situation
0: gotcha. nice nice um, and then um, are you rotate? So obviously then you're not rotating like the vegetables onto the pig land. Although do you rotate your cows onto vegetable land at all?
1: Not very much. We okay. will sometimes, uh, in 2020, we had a her- very bad drought here, worse than anyone that has ever seen in their you know, 60, mm-hmm. 70 year lifetimes. Yeah. Um, and so we did graze uh, oat cover crop that we, ha- we had cover crops on after vegetables, and we did graze okay. that. Um, we, we farm in a river valley, and mm-hmm. the river land is where the good vegetable growing conditions are. The soil is, is amazing. It's, yeah. it's as close to magic soil as you can get in my books.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it doesn't make sense for us to ca- pasture that for cattle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we rotate through our 50 types of vegetables and we don't put much else Got on just. the prime, um, the prime vegetable growing land. That said, we do grow some grain now, and the grain rotates with mm, cattle yeah. to rejuvenate uh, cattle pastures, to give us the straw we need for for garlic, strawberries, bedding, mm-hmm. things like that, and to provide grain for for broilers that we raise on pasture and for our layers. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, But the grain is more of a rotation with the cattle. Um, Last year, we did have uh, beets and turnip that finished up in the fall. And after that was done, the pigs all went through that. That was Mm -hmm. fun to watch them. Oh, yeah. If you didn't know, you'd you'd go out and see the pigs and think they were bleeding from their mouths because they had that beet juice just all. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, just running right down. (laughs) They just, they loved it. They loved it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So then for your vegetable ground, what's your fertility program?
1: Uh, pelletized um, poultry litter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that is made up here, so it's it's heated and pelletized. Okay. Um, it's from freestall barns, so it's okay to use that for organics. Yep. Yep. Um, we're using less and less of it, or or put it this way: every year for the last ten years, I bought one load, and I keep having more and more left over. Yes. Uh, it, it's going further and further as our fertility comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, we all. We buy a couple of different types of, of poultry, pelletized poultry manure, and we also use a lot of wood ash.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we'll, we'll apply about a ton to the acre of wood ash um, every okay. season for vegetable crops. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the biggest um, single things that we, we do for fertility. Mm-hmm. Now we're, yeah. we've done this 10 years, you know, in the next 10 years, we may find that, that, you know, certain elements get out of balance. We might have to do a little bit more, but, um, as I said, our soil is really nice here. And we, we aim to keep good biological activity, which is going to balance out things as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was listening to Ray Tyler the other day. Um, we were on a call together and he mentioned that he's using sunflower ash, like a sunflower whole ash, and he's really liking yeah. that. For I think it's the potassium. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: potassium. Yeah. Um, so, so there's different types of wood ash. We've switched from a fly ash, which came mm-hmm. from a mill down near the coast, to another mill that ha- the ash is about twice as dense. Okay. it all, it all depends on how efficiently it's burned. Gotcha. Um, but there's a lot of calcium, potassium, and a whole range of miners. Okay. And and so you're you're adding a lot more. You're getting about, depending on the type of ash, probably about half the liming effect as if you were putting on a calcitic lime. Yes, but you're getting a lot of the other minerals with it.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So, w- how are you spreading that?
1: We have a, a spreader. A, okay. A so, lime spreader. And you that just tell okay. with the tractor. Yeah. Yep. So just a regular lime spreader. So, so every spring. We go through with uh, the ash and with the chicken pellets and do a broadcast. Mm-hmm. The Chicken pellets, we're averaging about a ton and a half, uh, two tons of to the acre broadcast. Mm-hmm. And then where we need more fertility, we'll go in with a, an old potato planter with the fertilizer boxes wide open in the front, and mm-hmm. we'll band it, and then we'll plant into those bands. Mm-hmm. 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 Gotcha.
0: All right, let's move a little bit to kind of like the management here. What does a typical week look like? You and obviously it changes throughout the season, but you know what are what are you focused on doing?
1: Yeah, so when you say what am I focused on doing, I focus on on management as much as mm. I can, and on fixing problems. I know that sounds maybe <laughs> like the wrong way <laughs> to go, but <laughs> when you have a dozen crew going and you have a you know yeah. a couple tractors grow- going and people going this way and that things come up all the time. So my goal is not to be needed for any specific project.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: Like as much as possible, I want everything to run without me so that if I get a call and somebody's got a problem, I can run, fix it. And it doesn't shut a line down or it doesn't prevent orders from getting out that day or whatever. So, you know, I may have a couple hours of, of work that I have to do. That's, that's time sensitive required to get orders out but for the most part i try to make myself available that mm-hmm. said so mondays are usually our slow days the days we we have projects um it, every one monday a week here in in canada at least is a holiday okay sorry mo- one monday a month yes. one monday a month here in canada is a holiday so if you count on doing stuff, then your whole week gets out of balance. So we we just plan on Monday being a, a project day or a slower day. Gotcha. Tuesday is is a harvest and preparation day. Uh, Wednesday there's crew doing harvest and preparation, and we do a lot of order packing. Okay. And then Thursday we we do a lot of CSA packing and CSA delivery. So the one thing that I do every week and have done for the last three or four years is I run our bus an hour to our local, our big city, mm-hmm. and I manage the distribution from the bus. Gotcha. Um, okay. It's something uh, I'll i meet 150, sometimes upwards of 200 people in a, in a two and a half hour span, come to that bus. A lot goes on there. And wow. I also like to be there to... Uh, just to see everybody be that smiling face of the farm, mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. care of people. It's it's our single biggest interaction mm-hmm. with customers. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that is scheduled. Everything schedules around that Thursday afternoon delivery. Yeah. Then Friday, we have a few more orders and we finish up for the week. And then now that we have a lot of customizable stuff and online market, the big thing on Friday is projections for the following week.
0: Interesting, because already by Friday you can start to see what those orders are coming in, and you can see exactly what the next week looks like for harvest. Well, no,
1: not quite. Okay, um, we know our CSA numbers. Okay, because they are fixed pretty well. That uh, you know, we do allow people to make a, a a hold on stuff, but pretty well, we know what our CSA numbers are. And then for our market, we set availability.
2: Ah, gotcha. So yeah.
1: we'll go through and say. Um, our Csa has is going to take so much we're going to have this amount extra for market and that goes on market availability we encourage all our customers to wait till Friday afternoon mm-hmm. or Saturday Sunday to and we send our broadcast out after we've updated availability so that's done every yeah. week gotcha gotcha
0: um, while you're on that though why don't we dive into the the marketing side a little bit because I know you have, two systems you're using, you're using a CSA specific management system, and then you use a system for the actual a la carte or just like online order system. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that because you don't allow like a customizable share. You pretty much submit a standard box, right? For folks.
1: Yes, but no, we do, but we allow them to customize it. Oh, you do allow. Okay. Yeah, we do. So we've done, we've used like six programs over the last ten years and the the biggest challenge has been we want to fill everyone's boxes with what we have and with a good selection we don't want the latecomers to have run out of stuff that the early ones have already picked Mm -hmm. like we don't want the early ones to be able to get 10 bags of spinach we -hmm. want the guys who are you know we want it to be uniform and we want there to be a good spread of minimum of seven normally Uh 10 to 12 items in that box, regardless of whether it's a half or a two person and a full or a four person box, we want everybody to get some. So we want it. So we fill it. Then with the system we have now, the customer each, yeah, the the customer gets an email saying, Uh this is what we're planning to send you. If you want to make adjustments, go here and they click in. And for, each item is assigned with a number of credits. Yeah. So when they bump the, when they delete those out of their cart, it adds up credits that they can use, something like a video game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then they can then spend those credits on putting other things back into the box. Yeah. And if, if they run out of credits that they freed up, they can keep adding and it will add a bill to their total. And then they, we encourage them to wait till near the end of the season. So we're not getting a dollar here and a dollar there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll add up to $10, $15. And then later on in the year, they'll, we'll set them a reminder and they'll pay that. Mm-hmm. So that's how the CSA works. Um, we've been very happy with that. We get, um, in the summer, I think we were getting about 50% uh, customizing. Okay. Um, a sense now, without doing the hard numbers, is that it's closer to seventy-five now in the winter. Uh-huh.
0: so they're doing a lot and- more because it's they're getting more acclimated to using the system, as well as this time of year they want to do more customization because it's probably not the fun summer crops anymore.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, like you know, I think one out of a hundred out of two hundred and seventy took their spinach out. Everybody wants spinach. Yeah, but when it comes to Kohlrabi or or some of the squashes, you know, the, the, we want people to to be able to get what they want. The worst part, the worst thing with a CSA, I've been told this and I've seen it is for people to get stuff that they either mm-hmm, feel mm-hmm. that they can't use or they don't like or too much. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if if stuff goes to waste, that's come in the CSA box, that is going to be far bigger turnoff than thinking they paid too much exactly
0: yeah because they're willing to go well it probably was a slow year this year or something went wrong and so they're willing to give you a little grace but if they've got stuff going bad in their fridge for, we are very um uh we are we are programmed to hate stuff going to waste
1: so yeah, yeah for that to see and, and I, I yeah the reality is I, a lot of people will find waste from what they bought in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. But and and they'll view that a little different than they will if it came in a CSA box and it was wasted. It's just the psychology of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now you're using a separate system for your a la carte and um yes. and, and is
1: that because of like different features or it's primarily for because of our meats? Aha. Uh-huh. And and because um we want it to be Enough separate from the CSA box that there's there's no confusion that is mm-hmm. two different things we want it to be separate from our CSA and so that there not to be any confusion between the two now the CSA program and and Harvey before thought that it was a mistake to do this, mm-hmm. but so far this is what we've chosen to do and it works mm-hmm. um, the other the other thing is the as I said earlier the meat the meat yeah. is a big well, uh, deal because we we can't inventory every package size yeah on the online market and we all know that the meat does you know a steak doesn't all come out cookie cutter exactly yes
0: or and, else it'd be fake meat so,
1: yeah yeah right right <laughs> and so we put an estimated size online people. Fill their cart with that. Mm-hmm. And then the day before it's uh, for pickup or delivery, depending on what they choose, then we collect the order. Yeah. And when we collect it, we write the weights on the slip, we update that and send it to the customer for them to pay.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And that system, that's local line you're using, right? Yes, that's correct. For the a la carte. And then I think the same, I think, um, I think Grace Cart has a similar feature and uh, being allow you to them to check out, but then you to update the totals at the end. I'm not sure, but I think that was one of the features they had. Um, so interesting. And then the CSA software you're using right now is Farmigo, correct?
1: Correct. Yes.
0: Yeah. And we actually just signed up with them after we did significant research. And there was a couple of top contenders, which we looked at and were look, wanting to go with, but it just, um, well, it was, you know, that for me, it did have the features we were looking for. And then obviously I had a number of folks reach out and tell me that they really liked it and it worked for them. So I was like, well, that's obviously farmer's farmers' point of view is going to be super important when we're trying to make this work. So, um, but we, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll give you a feedback. We'll give people feedback after a year with it and see how it works.
1: So I think you had asked me earlier, like, an idea of scale so yeah um we we've been doing 350 to 400 uh csa in the summer
2: mm-hmm.
1: the winter uh 250 to 300 okay is our is our typical winter now in 2017 we were going we we lost our biggest re- uh wholesale account mm-hmm. it went under we lost a bunch of money and we had a huge amount of product that was grown for them that we had to liquidate. We started going to a physical market. CSA okay. and yep. wholesale were our primary sales venues up to that point. Yeah, we then went to a Saturday market. Uh, my wife, bless her, did most of that, and it was every Saturday up at four o'clock. Uh, you know, get get to the market, home again by four or five in the afternoon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it it took all our weekends.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: the end of 2019, they decided to move the location of that market and we did not like where they were moving. And that's when we started an online market. Gotcha. And our our goal was take the money and time spent at a physical market. Can we do the work here and get the product to the customer for the same price? Yeah. So- It costs, uh, you're more into this than I am, but from all the research I've done, 20 to 22% of your retail value is spent at the farmer's market or getting to it. That's exactly, Um, yeah, that's about exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes up to 25, it just depends. Yeah. Um, So our goal is to pack here for 15% and ship it for 10. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to, uh, to, to do that. So it's way nicer to be able to do it at the farm right here and get it to mm-hmm. people's doors. And our weekends are freed up. It's yeah. been a win-win. Little yeah. did we realize when we started that in January of 2020 that COVID was going to hit. And it was going to be a, a very timely move.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you just so, nailed that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I don't take credit for that, but yes, we did. <laughs> um, and so um, now our online market accounts for at least 25, probably 30% of mm-hmm. our sales, which mm-hmm. is a significantly more than than our physical market ever made.
0: Yeah. So it's just, it keeps scale. It keeps, does it keep growing or is it kind of steady right there now?
1: No, no, it, it keeps growing. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. I heard people say in years past, people would say, you know, oh, I made 3000 at a market or one person actually said I mm-hmm. made 7,000 at a market and I nearly fell off my chair. I was like, boys, I'd be in Clover if I did that. Well, yeah. you know, now, uh, you know, 5,000, four or 5,000 a week is, is a standard, mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. standard run market.
0: Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, and then one aspect, I kind of miss the farmer's markets because I miss the camaraderie there. I miss making those yeah. beautiful big displays and people buying them down and then these mountains of crates just disappearing. Um, but again, I and right now I have three young kids and do I want to give up yeah. every single Saturday for that? And again, on one that's aspect, right. yes, they can go with you. But the fact that we have a six day a week market here on site does work out obviously we'd like to kind of streamline that even a little bit more so there's two things with that we either got to scale it and in the summer i mean we're doing about five thousand a week through that it's a self-service stand so that actually works out pretty well but i think this year our goal is you know they hit the eight to ten every single week and that will then i think be at the scale where it actually really starts to be efficient But yeah, that farmer's market, there is something about that, especially if you've got, you know, good artisans at that market. And, you know, every Saturday morning is a culinary delight as well as, you know, providing. Oh, I know. I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you guys, in my opinion, have have gone about this whole uh, pandemic thing a whole lot smarter than some some of our Canadian um, (laughs) our Canadian politicians. But every you know every month or every whatever we're in a different code and and lockdowns and all this and for us it's just you know uh, full steam ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no yeah there's no can I get to market there's no reduced um, yeah you know reduced attendance through the stall there's none of that it's just the orders wow. came in we packed it and it went out the door we almost don't have to uh, worry about worry other than our employees we don't have to worry about what code is where and we don't have to worry about making sure that all the people that come in the door follow the right masking procedures and all that it it, yeah so so that's a blessing
0: yeah i can imagine yeah you just do that and now with the bus you just you set that all up outside so they can pick it up outside or they come into the bus how does that work
1: okay that we did have to switch that so originally uh people all came inside the bus
2: Mm -hmm.
1: now we have uh two packers on the bus and so uh and we put tables outside so people Mm -hmm. collect their orders outside but we have two staff in the bus and so when the person comes there's a sticker with their order on it it -hmm. gets put on a on a plastic box gets sent into the bus and within a minute and a half maybe two minutes that box comes back out And it's uh, the CSA is packed for them. Then they, everybody's instructed to bring their own bags. Then they just transfer the produce from our plastic bin into their bag and off to their car.
0: Okay. All right. That's really interesting. Okay. So do you have bulk product then in your bus, all kind of like lined up and set up? Wow. And so then it goes in. Yep.
1: So we line up you know, we have a packing sheet that says Mm -hmm. what is needed in that bus and we line it up in order of the way the label is going to call for Mm -hmm. it. Yep. So that, and then we have a a side for the two person a side for the four person. So that sticker goes on the box goes in and it's, you know, just bing, 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 fill the box and it comes back out.
0: And I, I looked at your online store and one of the things you have is numbers against every single crop. And is that so they stay in the right order?
1: Yeah and that was because originally local line did not have a way to sort. Now uh-huh. now they do. Um but we haven't changed that. We've stuck with yes. that system. Um if you need to search something you can just type the first letters of the, <laughs> the first numbers and it'll pop yep. right up. Yes. Um it it allows us to take items that we want to promote and put them at the top. It allows uh-huh. us To take stuff that, um, this is more back end for us, but crops that we don't do in the winter, we don't want to be paging through as we're doing updates. So we'll just put a 999 in front of them and it dumps them all at the bottom of the list. Uh Aha. So
0: it's just an easy
1: way for us. It's an easy way for us to sort it
0: that's I'm, we're going to start using that because that's brilliant to be able to push stuff at the top because again if they're they're seeing it right off they're going to probably pick that compared to stuff all the way at the bottom that you need to protect like the strawberries
1: <laughs> right although sometimes we'll put strawberries at the top or sweet corn at the top just to get people fired up <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay
0: well and, and yeah and actually like when we when we're running full steam ahead in the spring we run ads for strawberries and it actually works really well. I mean, direct sale right off a a Facebook ad, they go in, they get the strawberries, they add three or four other items, and now they're at a $25 order. So yeah, yeah, having those right up there is good. Let's move a little bit to, you know, you talked about the management. Um, how do you make sure you're focusing on the most vital things on the farm? Because there's obviously, I mean, like you could be packing orders or you could be doing this. I know you said fixing problems earlier, but are there like certain things that you've reserved? Like these are the tasks or these are the areas I'm responsible for?
1: Running a family business, um, I think makes that more challenging. Um, So, but the way we're settled out at the moment, is that I'm responsible for production. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is responsible for seed ordering, production supply ordering. So that's boxes, bags, mm-hmm. anything related to shipping. And she uh, keeps track of and, and packs and weighs all the meat. Mm-hmm. So she takes care of it post butcher. I take care of it to the butcher. Okay. Um, and then Nolly, our daughter, who's 22, um, when we started the online market, she said, dad, can that be my baby? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So she, she does the majority of the market, um, updating, uh, pictures, uh, and all of that, but she also manages all of the order filling. Okay. So both the, the CSA, we, about half of our CSAs are packed in boxes because they end up going to remote locations or places mm-hmm. where the customer doesn't meet us directly and half our bulk in our bus are from our farm here Mm -hmm. but she manages all almost all of that um wholesale vegetables is different but she does all anything retail so that's how we divide that we have a bookkeeper um, that also runs our store here on the farm because we're in a back road we don't get a lot of traffic at the farm directly Mm -hmm um but we do have a bookkeeper to keep just to keep on top of stuff i i can't tell you how much difference it makes when you can look at your accounting system and know where you're at and and your pile of receipts is is gone
0: (laughs) yes yeah yeah no that's a huge mistake we made this year is i was like well you know at the beginning there's not going to be that much paperwork to do well i ended up with two months behind in the books and we ended up bringing someone on in probably October. Um, and that was literally the best decision we ever made because having that completely, because um, here one thing, Tim, was we were stressed out all summer that we weren't making money and we were going to run out of cash because we didn't know yeah. what our numbers were. And so obviously exactly. we, were, we were making money. We were putting money in the bank, but because I didn't have up to the week financials um, again, I, I got gray hair out of it, but now, what we have is we have, it's a weekly report where she, um, she has a weekly report Tuesdays. It's due, well, it's due Monday night from her, but we have a, a weekly meeting where we go over it on Tuesdays. Um, but she obviously has got gross sales. She got every sales channel, the, the, the net sales from every sales channel. She has gross labor. Um, she's got any big expenses coming up. they see a snapshot of the business for the week. And that, yeah. again, allows us to all take a little thing. And then she also runs like percentages, like, hey, you, you made this much and your labor cost you this percentage. Okay. So that gives okay. us like a, you know, and again, in the winter time, it's very different than the summertime. Like in June, you sometimes, or I'll actually may, it's more of a one-to-one, you know, for every dollar you make, you're, you're costing a dollar in labor because you're also buying supplies and stuff. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, once you hit August, I mean, you can start cruising and be like a four-to-one or a five-to-one. So that's the kind of reporting we're starting to play around
1: with. And it's just so much peace of mind. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. In in our case, I do a lot of the comparison, the reports. I love numbers. I love Mm -hmm. uh, that. But just having all the slips in and being able Mm -hmm. to know where your money's going is huge. Yeah. Um, Are you using- we, we We run a fairly small line of credit for okay. the expenses that we, I mean, for the income and the expenses that we have. And it just, th- there's it a lot to managing all that.
0: Yeah. Now, are you using like QuickBooks or Zero to manage the, yeah. the books? Okay, QuickBooks. Yeah. And are you an um, o- online QuickBooks or it's desktop version? Yep. Online. QuickBooks
1: online. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, now, we use a payroll company to do our mm-hmm. payroll. I pay I don't know anywhere from eight dollars to twenty dollars every two weeks we do a two week payroll um, mm-hmm. and everything's direct deposit so uh quickbook we we use QuickBooks primarily to account for for the ins and the outs, the cash mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. but if you're doing like trying to look at ratios and stuff that's typically done through
1: spreadsheets No, I can get well, yeah, I guess so, yep, okay, yeah because that's yeah, what we yeah, because, we kind of
0: had to go there, yeah
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's talk a little um, bit about, about your mentors. Um, you know, obviously along the road, there's always people you're calling on to kind of like get advice from. Who have uh, who's been that for you on that journey?
1: Back before COVID, we had a fairly thriving conference which you attended once or twice mm-hmm. here yeah. at the in the Eastern Canada um, Acorn Conference, mm-hmm. and so there were quite a few farmers in that group. That would have been mentors. Um, you know, I, I, then there's farmers that would come to the New England Vegetable and Fruit Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, er, very early on, the uh, Roxbury Farm people yep. were great. Mm-hmm. And then in the early 2000s, at one of the Acorn Conference, um, Klaus and Mary Howell Martins. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know them?
0: They're grain farmers um, in central New York. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They spoke at a conference and one of the things they said was that they were surprised how collaborative organic farmers were Mm -hmm. in comparison to the conventional farmers that they had known when they were conventional, where everyone tried to keep their, what they were doing to their chest. Mm -hmm. And they made the comment that when we help each other, we all rise. Mm -hmm. And that has been something that I have taken to heart. Uh, for years, and that is any interaction with anybody, I'm free to give, but I almost always leave receiving something as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just feel like that's so much better than trying to protect what I have. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I would say, I consider them a mentor in in that approach and in that attitude. When it comes now since uh since covid there are f- a few farmers uh, uh um that i know in eastern canada here we've set up what we <laughs> one of the other guys did it i uh, called a super farmers group in in facebook and so if any one of us has a question we'll we'll write hey you know having trouble finding megaton mm-hmm. leak what have yeah. you found that's comparable to that or yeah. I I can't get my peas to germinate. What what do you have any tips on peas? Yeah. So that's kind of my that's kind of my go to thing if you know for problems that arise on on a you know a weekly or monthly basis. We don't. Sometimes we won't say anything for a couple of months, and then there's other times we'll be back and forth quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you've kind of built- that. Yeah, yeah, so you
0: built yourself a local mastermind, basically, of kind of like the farmers who are at your scale and doing serious farming work. Right, right. Yeah. Gotcha. And
1: they're all in eastern Canada, but in significantly different conditions. Uh, so one's in PEI, uh, where the soils are different. Another one's in Nova Scotia, uh, where like their ground never freezes in the winter. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is different. Yeah. So... You know, you don't want to just ask the neighbor that's right next to you necessarily, because you want to be able to spread, you know, broaden your horizon somewhat. But Mm -hmm. it it, where it doesn't help me to find out what somebody's doing in Virginia or or Florida.
0: Yeah, yeah, you've got to give your yeah you got to get yourself some some aspects of same weather and such, and that's why you know now like um, growing Salanova, we just had a, a, there was a Zoom call we did with a university. Well, it was a fruit and veg of Vermont with Andre Kiltamo. Um, And, you know, obviously I was able to give some resources, but people in Michigan are going to have different day lengths and obviously up where you are, they're going to have different things. And it's, you've got to stay somewhat local, but also expand a little bit. You got to have a good mix, I guess, is I think the magic aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, If you were to be able to go back and start your farm over again, what systems would you go back and put in place sooner?
1: Yeah, I thought some about this. There's certain places I would have invested more money in sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, With beef, I would have started with a better handling system. Okay. With chickens, I would have started with a better brooder. Mm because how they start makes such a a difference. Yeah. With pigs, I would have started with better genetics. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. With with vegetables, I start with skilled labor right from the get go, and by that mm-hmm. I mean skilled guys who come. They come in from Mexico, mm-hmm. and they come and they help us all summer. And the, boy, do they know what they're doing. In mm-hmm. comparison to the local that the the labor that's available here locally, mm-hmm. um, we hire as many as we can locally, but we need a core group of people that that really understand field work and vegetable production and. And these guys are it. Um, The other thing, I would have uh, removed every hairy gallon soga weed I'd see the first time I ever saw it. (laughs) It's a nightmare in our area if you let it grow. Um, But these are all little things. I think the biggest reset would have been to put much more resources into our online market at the get go and home Uh delivery rather than waiting eight years to get started on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I think that's interesting. You just talk about that core group of people, and you know, we're actually been heavily considering that this year. I, I think we're going to skip another year, try to go with local one more year, because we've actually got a kind of a decent, a, a pretty good core group. I think, um, yeah. but you know, once we scale um, this next year, we're actually planning on you know not growing as much field crops, focusing more on some other areas of the farm. But the year beyond that we're going to be definitely scaling some field crops for some more wholesale um, perennial sort of thing. So in that type in that, I think we're gonna need a lot more field help and that's where we'll go for that. But um, having that core group of people that know it and they expect the work in the cold and the heat, and they expect to be working all season long and they expect um, you know, 50 hours plus a week, I think is, is huge. Um, a huge advantage.
1: Yeah. So our guys, uh, come back every single year. They're like our family. I visited them. I went to Mexico. I stayed in their mm-hmm. homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've said, one of the guys in particular has said to me, you know, mi casa is tu casa. Um, mm-hmm. I've learned Spanish to speak with them. Um, so they live in Canada six months and they're in Mexico six months. So they're here as much as they are there. Yeah. I don't consider them foreign workers. They're they're a a key part of our team. Yeah, And the money they make here is equivalent to eight to 10 times what they make in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it really makes a huge difference for them yeah. and their family in Mexico. Um, they want to work for the, the one challenge with the Mexican guys is they're not happy if they're not working 60 hours. Yes. Yeah. Cause they're there six. to work. Yep. Six, 10 hour days. And wow. it has to be that way now. Yeah. In the in the fall, it'll go down a little bit. In the spring, sometimes it'll go down a little bit. Um, part of that too is that uh, it, it's different depending on which province you're in, and maybe which state you're in. We have to pay overtime, so mm-hmm. any any hour over forty-four, they're making time and a half.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that's part that's quite an incentive for them. They yeah. would work more than sixty hours, but we just said no. We we cap it at sixty. Yeah.
0: And so that means that they basically start at 6 a, or 7 a.m. and are working, you know, right through to um, 5 p.m. or 6 p.m.?
1: They they go 8 to 6.30.
0: Okay, 8 to 6 is and a half hour for lunch then.
1: And half hour for lunch. And they have a, a house right here on the farm. So they, they go home yeah. for lunch, make their, you know, make their food, whatever. Almost all the time. Um, you know, we we don't charge them for the house they pay a little bit for rent they get uh they get a typical salary um mm-hmm. so it it really is a good deal for them when you look at it that they have very low expenses here and they can um but but for us each one does the work of probably 3 mhm a, because they're working 60 instead of 35 or 40 hours, and B, because they're at least twice as fast as, mm-hmm. as anybody else.
0: Yeah. Well, they're professional farmers.
1: They are. They are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: With that, I'd like to stop here and take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Tim from Strawberry Hill Farms where are you on your thriving farmer journey if you go to growingfarmers.com you can click on our assessment take our assessments just a few questions and what it will do is show you exactly where you are on the five stage thriving farmer journey and what this will do then is give you some next steps some resources to help you know what to focus on next in your business to move you to the next level with your farm all right, guys. We are back with Tim from Strawberry Hill Farm. Tim, talk us a little bit through. You, you, you talked right before the break about um, your team and you have the um, the H two. It's probably a different program than H two A there, but so you have the the folks that come up from Mexico. But then your yep. your local folks. Do you have anyone you hire locally?
1: Yes. So we we have uh, our daughter plus two full-time staff year round. Uh, One guy runs the tractor, feeds the livestock, plows snow, does all that kind of stuff, cuts wood for the wood furnace. Mm -hmm. Um, And then our daughter and another full-time person do uh, packing. And then as we go into spring, they do seeding and and transplant care and all that kind of stuff. Then we hire a couple of part-time. So we hire hire extra part-time help when on- Big packing days, and we hire a part-time bookkeeper, storekeeper, and then my wife and I obviously are are full-time. So we that's kind of the year-round picture. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to our last year, we brought five from Mexico and two from Cameroon in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, we have a couple of Canadians that only want summer work, so they'll go on an unemployment. In the winter plus we do our best to hire at least two summer students
2: mm, okay um,
1: i really feel that that working on a farm is very valuable information and and just helps it spending a summer on a farm is going to expose you to so many more things than than the average person would um at at, at almost any other job Mm -hmm. you you know, and, and give people a lot better understanding of where their food comes from. So I really feel it's important that we try to, to hire local students. That can be a challenge, especially because the Canadian government gave out a lot of free money the last couple of years around COVID. And so why would anybody work? So that's been that it's been challenging from that aspect, but, um, yeah, that's how I guess that's how how it looks. We'd hire as many Canadians as as we can, um, and then we we bring as many. You know that determines how many we can bring from Mexico or other countries.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now with the local folks, um, do you? T- it sounds like you have a wide range of tasks they're doing. I mean, it sounds like you and you also are sort of like segmenting people in, like your tractor driver also plowing snow. Is that like a particular Job description for that—that that he's like your machinery guy. How do you have? How do you make those kind of um, allocations?
1: Yeah, so we do have um, a couple of machinery guys. Okay. Um, and actually, I, I didn't think about that earlier. We our delivery driver also um, runs tractors as well. So when he's not delivering, he's he's doing hand. He grew up on a farm. Uh, mm-hmm. He's from a farming family, so he'll be driving tractors in the spring and stuff. So, the tractor driver equipment operation is a job description. Mm-hmm. Um, general field labor, which is anything around picking, cultivating, harvesting, seeding, all of that, that is a different category. Um, you know, our, our tractor driver would be paid a lot more than mm-hmm. as a typical field hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do you also. Um, yeah. With how long they've been with you, do you automatically do raises or is it kind of like as you feel like they're taking on more responsibility, uh, you're working w- with the, into that area?
1: We do both. I, okay. We try to give raises every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it depends a little bit on how we did the previous year. If we've done well, we try to give a little more of a raise. Um, we, we'd like to do it every year, but I I think every year we've been able to do something as far as a raise.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Then we also definitely do. uh, Try to pay people for the value that they bring to the farm. You know, that that's challenging, but, Mm -hmm. but we do that. And that would be anybody that completes a season. So typically you'd start in at, at what would be our minimum wage, which. This year, I think it's twelve seventy five, um, which would probably in U.S. money would probably be equivalent to around nine. Oh wow, um, that's that's the minimum wage. But you, you know in in twenty twenty we hired a whole bunch of people in at fifteen just to get <laughs> help. Yeah, so it, it just depends um, if if somebody has the potential and looks like they're going to do well, we will we will start at fourteen or fifteen, and then we'll go up from there.
0: Yeah. So in the U.S., um, New York now has, I think, $12.50 an hour um, minimum wage. Okay. Here in Ohio, it's $9.30, um, although we're pretty much starting anyone – well, call, like high school kids, we start about 10 or 12 but anyone yeah. else above that is getting 14 15 U.S. when they come on board. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, for management, we're looking <clears throat> right around 20 U.S., which is – Yeah. Um, it's – I mean, again – if we want them long-term and we expect a lot out of them, that's a completely fair. And to try to give them a living wage, which just means they're going to be able to last a long time with us, which again, turnover is your biggest expense. So,
1: um, yeah,
0: I mean, we push them hard and we, you know, have high expectations, but I also try to pay them well for that as well. And if we can profit share too, you know, try to get them. Obviously in the first year I told, like, we put that on our, uh, our farm manager and she's like, would you expect any profit the first year? And I was like, no, but again, we're thinking long-term with you. So, you know, if you're with us a couple of years, absolutely. There'll be a lot more profit to to go around.
1: We, we tried to work on a number of different ways to make that work. And that's, that's really challenging in a, particularly in our business um, which we, we're still deciding whether we're going to incorporate. We probably will incorporate, but we're uh-huh. running a, I don't know how it works in the U S but we're running a 50, 50 partnership still. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's tough to to look at and to know exactly how much you made um, because well, you're paying off mortgages, you're paying off yeah. equipment, you're paying off all kinds of things. And it's, so it's at the end of the year if the uh, it's really tough to have a solid figure that you can then say, well, because we made so much, then there's a percentage to go around. You know what I mean?
0: Well, yes. And that's something I've really been working on. And I don't think I have the right answer for that. Um, But kind of my thought process has been, obviously, you know, you've got your your standard overhead expenses. You've got your standard depreciation. Most any equipment's going to get a five-year depreciation. And you have a standard percentage that say, we're going to, you know, spend... 10% 10% of our gross on new equipment. Um, but yeah, it's going to change. I mean, like if you look at someone like Paul and Sandy Arnold, who've been now, what is it? 30 something years farming. They have a very, very different um, balance sheet and profit and loss statement than you at 10 years in the game. Um, it's yeah. like 11, and then me at the one year in the game. So um, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, like last year we, um, um Last year we took a net loss, obviously, because it was our first year. But we invested seventy thousand dollars in infrastructure. Actually, more than yeah. that. When you actually run the, the the numbers, I mean, the the one greenhouse alone was seven was sixty thousand by the time we were all said and done. So, um, yeah, it's going to be you know, but 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 if you look at those investments, and it all comes back to how you categorize stuff, and that's why I think it's so important for most farmers to yes have that bookkeeper, but also have that accountant and someone that understands ag. Because the more they understand ag, the more they can understand, you know, how to allocate and, you know, where that magic number is. And I think back to your point too, is obviously as the farmer, as the, someone who's taken the most risk, you need to make the greatest reward. But I, for me, the reason why we put in the profit sharing is we want to try to get our employees as invested as possible in our, yeah. you know, we want to share that with them. Um, one thing we haven't done, which is something I read a book recently called oh maybe it was called Build to sell I forget what the, it was called but it was it's really interesting thought process but they typically if you know they say for every business you should put a let's say if we do sell the business, there will be a percentage for the the team um, And again, I know 99 percent mm-hmm. of us farmers never think about that but it's always just an interesting point of view um, because obviously, yeah most entrepreneurs build businesses to sell obviously us farmers do it because it's a lifestyle i think that's a different we see farming differently typically yes we have to make money but we do it because we love it we do it because we want to feed the community we want to keep doing that for a long time
1: right right and and we may want yeah exactly so you know i do a lot of charts i do a net worth statement at the end of every year i do inventory and, you know, all that goes to the account yeah. as well. Um, but, um, the, you know, and our, our net worth goes up in leaps and bounds more than the cash we make.
0: Well, because yeah, um, because prices
1: are, yeah. values of your entire farm operation are going up. And because we're still buying so much yeah, of our stuff, you say 10 years, but, um, we we were able to buy the original uh, 100 acres uh-huh. with money we had saved cuz uh-huh. you know my wife w- I was 37 my wife was 40 uh-huh. at the time so but then you know since we've had to buy a whole bunch of different pieces of equipment especially when you're in livestock and cattle and mowers and balers and it's it's very capital intensive uh-huh. and then we bought the neighboring farm so we're paying down the mortgage on that so a lot of this is yeah um, a lot of yeah. the money goes into those kinds of things, so it's not available to pay out as profit. <clears throat> it's not available to pay out as yeah. profit, no
0: yeah yeah, and i I think too now this is interesting too. You have to think about the type of farm too, because the more grain, the more um extensive farm you have, let's say, you know, a a grain farm, a cattle farm, a pig farm would be way more extensive. Typically, those have a lot higher costs of land and equipment, you know, balers and um, spreaders and tractors and stuff compared to, let's say, a small vegetable operation, which typically has a lot less capital.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so like, when you're looking at your your asset turnover ratio for a a typical Mm -hmm. farm, you're looking at 20 to 40%. So that yes. means if you have a million dollars in asset, you're only making two to 400,000. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're running 55%. So we're running a lot better. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah. Still, this last year, my 1970s mower, um, long yeah. story short, I, I had had enough with it. Uh, it wasn't going <laughs> to do the job um, after my pickup got. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> I had to put $23,000 into a mower. Yeah. just to cut hay for 70 cows. Yeah.
0: And on one um, aspect cut- it felt really good, okay. but on the other aspect it was a huge
1: hit in the pocketbook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so what what do you call profit? It's it's a challenge. Like, you know, I can tell you what what we pay tax on, yeah, after the accountants done, but it becomes challenging to know how to how to pass on profit to an employee, I guess is is all yeah. I'm saying.
0: Yeah. No, I, I I get you on that. Now it's interesting too. I mean, obviously I, I'm sure like that your employees too have, you know, access to seconds and I'm sure there's all sorts of other perks. Absolutely.
1: Um, oh I, yes. We give them a, a discount at the store and they can have an unlimited number of, of seconds. Yeah. Um, and they, they can have uh, an unlimited, except for that the supply is limited, but number of eggs that, yeah. that maybe maybe you know, dirty or, or damaged or too big or too whatever. So, so there are a number of perks that way. Yes.
0: Yeah. but So I, you know, and I think it all comes back to typically people that are in farming are in it because they love it and they don't really, yeah. it's not there because they're because seriously, I mean, like if I really wanted to make money, I have a standing offer from a friend of mine for a six figure position in her company. She says, Michael, if you ever want to yeah. come back, this is what you could be making. And yeah, that's all fine and good. But again, I was super stressed out. I was not eating well. I was, you know, I was not doing it. It was not a good place when I was working for her just because of, you know, kind of the stress of that business. So, you know, and my, I think my yeah. brother,
1: my brother, you know, what's interesting. Um, I don't know if this is going the podcast or not, but what's interesting is my brother is in one of those categories yeah. of, you know, w- well, well over the six figure kind of thing. Um, and, and, uh, we were talking the other day and, and, and I, I said to him something like, you know, I don't know if I'm just crazy or what doing this farming thing. And he said, you know, you could have a job like mine. And then we got tra- chatting a little bit more and I said, you know, well, this is where our net worth is at. And this is what, where it was when we started farming. And mm-hmm. he goes, yeah, that's about where mine is too. <laughs> yeah. Um, So there's other ways to cut the cake. um, You know, He's paying income tax on on that salary mm,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm paying income tax on a a twenty thousand dollar <laughs> yeah. for the year yeah there's exactly. a big 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 difference because i'm i'm everything's getting reinvested in the farm, yeah, so um the, you know it it looks great to say I'm making all that money, but at the end of the day, what are you i yeah. you know i i I'm suspicious that I might be be ending up with almost as much as he is.
0: Yes, and you're doing what you love and you're doing something you know is helping people and feeding your community. That's right,
1: that's right, that's right.
0: Yeah, all right, let's move on to marketing. That was a fun conversation. (laughs) Let's move on to marketing though. How do you sell your stuff? I don't. Okay. I tell our story. All right, let's let's dive into that a little bit. What's
1: the story that you're telling folks? So- um, our daughter went to college and took business marketing because she said to me, "Dad, I want to take over the farm. Mm-hmm. you know what what do you think?" And I, I said, "Take business, you're going to need business to run the farm." So mm-hmm. she decided to focus on marketing and and that's where she learned that people buy um, for the the why you do it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the how you do it, and then they'll buy what you have to offer so I don't want people to look at my carrot compared to the carrot in the supermarket or the carrot down the road i want them to come to me because they love who we are why -hmm. we do it and what we do Mm -hmm. so if i do the first part right i never have to worry about selling the carrot that's -hmm. why i don't do marketing i do storytelling so we do 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 some paid ads but it's telling a story Mm -hmm. and and our daughter um said to me just last night she said when we did a Facebook uh you know we we ran a Facebook we still run a Facebook page and and we've had Mm -hmm. issues with that in the last year they shut down our farm and and uh shut down the page and then they gave it back and then they um they cut our administrator access to the page so it's sitting there but we can't touch anything about it and my gosh they won't they won't tell us why they'll just say we violated something and they'll give us a list of 20 things that we could possibly have violated. You can't talk to anybody, nothing. It's a disaster. Yes. Facebook used to be the way we told our story. Um, but one, one case, um, there was a flood in the local city and our, uh, Kirsten put out a post offering to deliver vegetables free of charge to anybody that needed help in the flooding. And that got shared way more than any paid ad. Anything. Mm-hmm. It was over, you know, over eighty thousand uh, reach on that one, which wow. isn't viral, but it is, you know, it's significant yeah. in our little neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, and when I went to Mexico, I I posted about the picture and the guys and and where you know visiting them and telling the Mm -hmm. story about about how they come and that i'm going to see them and and their families and those kinds of things um we like to uh tell the story about how the animals are raised show pictures of moving cattle and then talk about um how everything works together on the farm pigs eating the squash that we threw out those kinds Mm -hmm. of things so we're, we're sharing kind of how we do stuff
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and why organic um environmentally conscious working with nature uh all these different things that's what we're we're aiming to to promote not would you buy my carrot
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there's a heck of a lot of carrots out there and there's a heck of a lot of carrots that are probably cheaper than your carrot but yes. people are still buying your carrot to the tune of you know people lining up at the, the cities Yep. yeah
1: and they're they're telling me, I didn't know a carrot could taste like this. These carrots taste amazing. Yeah. Um, and then they come back because it tastes good. Like you, you, you do have to have a good product. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, um, you, want, you want them to buy into who you are and what you are and make them feel a part of it. And then selling is not a problem hmm
0: mm-hmm. Who would you say your most typical person who buys from you? What's the age demographic on that? Does it range?
1: Yes, but surprisingly, not as much as you might think. Okay. Um, the demographic starts with college uh mm-hmm. students. Um, so we have a number of them and it goes right up through families, right up into people who are uh, retired, 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, we do the whole spectrum. Now, if you put everybody in front of us at one time, um, it's probably going to be more heavily weighted toward the 40 to 60 range. Okay. Yeah. But we definitely, we definitely have the entire spread. What's interesting is that we sell far more product in particular regions so Uh it's not so much the age demographic as where they're located fascinating okay yeah so our local town woodstock is a border town it's 10 minutes across to holton maine okay um and it's uh long-term farming country carlton county potato country uh everybody grew up on potatoes and they don't expect to pay anything for food if Uh if stuff gets too expensive they go across the border and buy it over there this is pre-covid um so this local town woodstock is not a very good market for us now as people move in from ontario they're flooding in from from other provinces then we start to see an uptick our biggest market by far and away is the capital city of our province fredericton Mm -hmm. and um you know, there's a lot more people that are environmentally conscious. There's a lot more people that are city, you know, don't have access to gardens and mm-hmm. probably better paid. There's a lot of government positions and, and that's, you know, probably 80% of all our businesses in that one city.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And how far is that from you again? An hour and 10. Okay. So that's actually not that bad. That's pretty much what Saratoga was for us when we are back in New York, you know, an hour, hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk. You know, you've been farming now for a while, and I know you've been pretty active in your, uh, you know, farming education in in your region. What do you think the biggest mistake that you see beginning farmers making is?
1: Jumping into things without a solid business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, farming has to be run as a business in, in order to succeed. I also see people trying to farm like a hobby so um if you <laughs> our kids enjoyed um the movie uh called oh with the babe with yep. the little pig yeah um, yep. and and you just maybe at one time you could hobby farm like that and make a living But this day and age, it's just not, it's not, I don't think it's viable or possible to, unless you're willing to live on a very like subsistence kind of level. But if you Mm -hmm. want to raise kids and send them to college and those kinds of things, um, you really have to farm as a business and you have to think in terms of setting your pricing, which is the second thing I had is improper pricing, um, we face a fair amount of competition from people say around COVID that wanted to supplement their income. So they put a squash patch in the backyard and mm-hmm. then they sell it dirt cheap because that's what everybody else did 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And then people come to us and say, well, can I buy a 50 pound bag of squash for 10 bucks? And we look at them and say, no, <laughs> or, or they just come and say, I want a 50 pound bag of squash. And we say, okay, we'll give you wholesale. That'll be $60, dollars a dollar twenty a pound. Yes. And they look at me like you must be out of your mind. I wanted that for ten bucks. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you'll you'll have to go to your friend down the road, and then when they're out, you can come back to me. But I have to. There, there's a huge amount of cost that I have to incur in order to make my living farming.
0: Yeah. Um, it's it's very different than just tilling up a section in your backyard and throwing some squash in. Um. And, and they're like, well, you know, the the seed only costs thirty cents, and we're like, um. There's so much more than that.
1: <laughs> There's so much more than that. And then on the other hand, you have people that say, you know, well, I'll, I'll charge 12 bucks for my eggs for a mm-hmm. dozen eggs. Well, that's, that's okay. If you're selling 10 dozen eggs, but if you're selling, you know, 300 dozen a week, maybe not. And so it doesn't make a solid business plan to, to plan on, on growing them for 12. Cause you'd never sell them for that.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So those are some of the, those are some of the challenges that I see beginning farmers. Um, and, and it comes down to, to uh, you, you have to look at the numbers and what's reasonable and a business plan can be a very scary word, but it really doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting because, you know, when I first started our first farm, we didn't have a business plan and we were kind of the seat of our pants. And, um yep for years we didn't know now with this new the new farm here in ohio you know the numbers are everything and that's allowed yep. us allowed us to do you know 20 percent more in our first year than we ever thought we would do because you know as the season progressed we just watched the categories and watched the numbers and shifted and, and swung as we watched what was changing um, right but yet yeah, knowing those numbers is so key and you don't realize that you know a cucumber you can make triple the amount if you turn it into a pickle um yeah it's just those simple things that, that make a big difference. What encouragement yeah. would you go back and give your new farmer self?
1: I'd say it may take some time, but you'll be OK. Try mm. to enjoy the little moments and don't stress too much. And when one door closes, another one will open if you watch for it. Mm
2: hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, I've spent a lot of sleepless nights over things that have turned out to end up being blessings. Mm. Um, Would they have been the same blessing if I hadn't lost sleep over it? Maybe not, (laughs) but but, um, it's been amazing to me to see how things have worked out. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you could pick one, what would be your favorite farming tool?
1: That's a tricky question because my smartphone is my most useful tool, but it's Mm -hmm. not always my favorite. Yeah. It has the flashlight, Google information, communication, spreadsheets, camera. And I love taking pictures, calculator, all kinds of stuff on it. Um, However, it can be annoying. If I'm looking strictly at a favorite farm tool, it's probably one of our pieces of weeding equipment. Mm -hmm. Basket weeder under our international 140, or we have a nice Danish cultivator set that's uh, manually guided. Um, and it's really cool to see a, a piece of weeding equipment work well. It's just mm-hmm. something very satisfying about, especially after you've spent hours and hours weeding, to see one of those go through and, and what it does. There's really satisfying. Yeah.
0: What brand is that Danish the tool? I don't have that in
1: my head.
0: Is it it's, like a and a, it's written? Is it a it's written in
1: Danish? No, no, it's not something that I'd ever seen before.
0: Oh, okay. You just happened to find it somewhere and it works great.
1: It it was amazing. Um, A guy who grows sunflowers across the river from me had a potato planter for sale and my potato planter is pretty well beat. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, over 50 years old. So I went over to look at it and he made some comment about a cultivator. And I said, Hey, can I see it? Mm -hmm. And I ended up picking it up for, I think 6,000 and it was like brand new. Wow. It was a $25,000 piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got all, it's got fertilizer hoppers, sprayers, not that I use it. Um, you sit on the back, you guide it. It's got all the spring tines. Mm -hmm. Um, I've sent a whole bunch of pictures of that to, uh, Eric Gallant Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the university of Maine, and we've talked back and forth. I also uh, am on a project with him where he sent me some weeding tools to try, um, and so it's. But it's it'd be similar to any of those others that you steer. This one's just very heavy built. It's uh-huh. very solid. Interesting. I'll have to do more research on that. Um,
0: where can people find out more about you
1: and your work? I would have said Facebook. And we we did start a new Facebook page, Strawberry Hill Farm NB. And our old page, which is just Strawberry Hill Farm, is also up there. But we haven't been able to make any adjustments since June. So it looks like we fell off the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a lot of information there. We did some website upgrades. And with that, we lost a lot of the old information on our website. But there's still some there, strawberryhillfarm.ca. Mm -hmm. which will take you also to our market website, which is Mm -hmm. strawberryhillmarket.ca. So there's a lot of information there. We have an Instagram page. Um, We also have a TikTok and YouTube account, but there's not a whole lot on there. Okay, I'm considering doing more YouTube stuff. Um, I was in this fall, uh, a team came and did filming for a couple of episodes going on um, Bell TV in Canada. Oh, very cool. And that that was a very interesting and cool experience for me to be involved as sort of as an actor in that episode. Mm-hmm. But it was a documentary type thing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to do some more of that. Um, the expense is the issue. Obviously, when they came and did it, then I didn't have to pay for it. Yes. <laughs> but if I turned around and bring them back, then I have to pay for it. Expense is an issue. But um, it, you know, it, it's a very good way of telling their story if, if you can get it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, Tim, this has been fabulous to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today. And I uh, really appreciate, um,
1: you know, all the wisdom you shared in this episode. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Hey, thriving farmers! Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books.